0: Hey, welcome to the 189th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by
1: patron Austin Kress. I'm Oren Kaplan. And I'm Matt Venlo. Today we've got Liz Shannon Miller on the show. She's a TV critic, a film critic. She writes for a ton of different publications. She focuses mostly on television, but I've known her for a long time. And it's a great conversation to have with a person who professionally loves appreciates, and writes about film and TV for the last decade, basically. Yeah,
0: she definitely knows her film and TV. I mean, she's written for... She's worked for Variety, for IndieWire. Now she's writing for Vulture. She's writing for AV Club. Hollywood Um,
1: Reporter. Basically everywhere that you read criticism, she's written for. Yeah,
0: you might have seen her on a Rotten Tomatoes review before. What's interesting to me is I feel like the whole episode plays out like a series of unpaid endorsements because you know she'll be like this show is so good you <laughs> and sure. that show is so good and i'm like while she we were talking to her i was like oh this is that's a great recommendation really? no, that's, that's a great or that, that, that sounds good and yeah. she'll talk about other critics that she thinks are like amazing critics and i'm like oh i should read those critics my relationship with critics is i watch a movie mm-hmm. well first of all i like sense if people are saying it's good or not you know for me to see it sure sure the like, buzz more like the in the air the yeah. user score the people yeah. like facebook like whatever that type of world and then i'll watch a movie and then i'll go to rotten tomatoes and read like what the critics said about it because i want to see if they think the same thing that i think
1: i am pretty anti-rotten tomatoes oh why yeah i think that it's kind of bad for film culture like i'm much more and we talk about this a little bit in the episode but i'm much more interested in tracking critics that i where my taste kind of aligns with them and maybe they challenge me a little bit more or maybe like i agree with them mostly but not always because that's a good way to be exposed to things that you wouldn't know that you would be into right like if i know that these this handful of critics that i i think have really sophisticated interesting smart taste or like an appreciation for the dumbest stuff in the world which i also love like if if i get them i like their vibe then that's important to me and i think that rotten tomatoes just takes all of that personality and and really what to me is important about criticism away it's in the same way that like i I, it bums me out to no end that we used to call you know movies and tv and literature art and now we call it content well yeah that's annoying the the, content word bothers me more than than not art but So, the, yeah, the content thing is, is the problem, but really what it boils down to is quantifying art as a number of hours, a library, right? It's, it, it's just like, well, well, how much? What's the quantity of content that you have? How many hours of content do you have? You know, how many likes did it get? All of that stuff. And so it basically, I think, turns a thing that's very important to me and I've devoted my life to into a commodity that you just ship and trade. And so none of them are special. Our content just means that nothing is special. And Rotten Tomatoes kind of does that to criticism.
0: Yeah, I guess I just use it as a, think of it as a tool where I want to see like, I want to see all the top reviews from publications I've heard of, like the LA Times or Slate or whatever. Sure. Or slash film of a movie I just saw. And I just want to see like, you know, I really liked Us, but the ending
1: I was a little off. I want to see if other people have said things. Right, th- right. The ending. And um, I would say that, There were plenty of publications that I'm interested in, and then I'll go ahead and like follow those critics on Twitter or something like that. Yeah. And I think you're just
0: much deeper in the awareness of who you're reading and what you're reading
1: about. And I, fair enough, I'm
0: just a lot more surface. Well, (laughs) when it comes to film criticism,
1: yeah. I mean, I think, look, I was a critical studies major in college. Like, I kind of went to film school in the like, yeah, and I studied computer science. And right. Exactly. Yeah. So you're gonna quantify what's the median, uh, re- right? Review review versus yeah, like. Yeah. I have some algorithms are... that tell me whether I'll
0: like a movie or not. And exactly. half the times I don't even watch it. I just tell people that I liked it. Yeah. Right. Or didn't like it.
1: Do you ever watch movies at like speed and a half? Do you ever watch them in like sort of fast forward?
0: Only like YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. Videos. Right. It's not. I wouldn't watch like a real movie that. But I've. Falling asleep in my fair share. Oh boy! Of the Listen, <laughs> before we talk to Liz, Chan, and Miller, uh, we wanted to remind you that we have a Patreon page. It's patreoncom pod. and it is uh, a way that if you feel like you get something out of this podcast, you can help us make it by giving us a dollar a month, two dollars, whatever you want. If you give us ten dollars a month, even if it's only for one month, you will get a free Just Shoot It podcast hat mailed to your door. All that we ask is that you put it on, take a selfie, put it on Twitter, put it on Instagram, put it on Facebook. Name your first child after it. Name. And uh, that's it. Oh, Easy.
1: Little baby, just shoot a hat.
0: Yeah. <laughs> don't don't <laughs> just summon your baby and say, just shoot it. Anyhow, check it out. Patreon.com slash just shoot it pod. Also, I noticed Helpful. we are
1: very close to reaching our first benchmark goal, actually. We're at $266 a month. We're aiming for 300 which was the original number that we thought would be our break-even point. In reality, we spend more than that a month on the show, but... Back in the day, that's what we thought it was going to be. <laughs> yeah. Well, Matt has a
0: very complicated writer of what kind of snacks I have to have for him sure. when he comes over to record the
1: podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oren only eats Ferrero Rochers. He eats like 15 a day. It's like pretty gross and like the editors have a lot of work to do and kind of cutting out all of the lip smacking that happens as he's eating them. Yes.
0: Well, I will not eat any less of a truffle. <laughs> well, great. Thanks, Matt. I'm excited for
1: this interview. Liz, you're a TV critic.
2: I'm a TV critic. I'm a TV journalist. I'm a TV watcher. I've been covering pop culture and various uh, across various media since late 2006 professionally. I've been caring about TV since way the, the beginning. Way, yeah, right. it's uh, since
0: it was in uh, color. How do you gauge like how like casual and or like, uh, what sort fun, of ling- like the language? language yeah, use. I'm really curious yeah. about how, it, like, w- what review you could say pound down in and what review you can't.
2: It's very based, It's it depends on the outlet you're writing for, it depends on the context, it depends on the show. Like, you know, if it's. If you're writing about something like, say, Showtime's The Affair, you're going to keep it pretty serious. Like, you know, you're it's not a show. Nece- there there are things to make fun of on that show, but you want to you want to take it seriously to a degree.
1: Well, and I I love that you use that as an example because you do write uh, about that show pretty regularly. Yeah. But for Vulture, which I think is a pretty playful publication, right? yeah,
2: I feel like I definitely have the leeway to be pretty silly at times. But I've, I've been trying to keep like it, it, I'm also still I'm relatively new there, so I'm still trying to. Them out.
0: I just thought of this right now because I've not thought about this a lot but being a tv critic is so different from being a film critic because with the film critic like I feel like you say I like this movie or I didn't like this movie and this is why but with tv you are investing you know you have to watch the next episode in the next episode it's not like you can stop covering a show right
2: I mean it it varies like there are definitely shows that I've written about once like I've done like like one review and it's like good I'm done And it's
0: not the pilot
2: no like uh I just recently I one of the publications I've been writing for is the AV Club Mm, yeah they're fun they're great uh they're lovely people and
0: that's the onion right
2: yeah but it's they 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 are semi more serious like they don't make active jokes of what they do (laughs) sure right uh, and I reviewed a show for them called Criminal just a couple weeks ago, and it's the a only TV t- show. Yeah, it's a it's it's actually a really interesting concept. It's uh, it's a show. It's it's twelve episodes, but it's split across four different countries with four different casts, four different languages, four different writing directing teams. Oh, but huh. but the but the central idea is it's an inter- it's basically like Law and Order, but all it is is the interrogation scenes and so they get really interesting actors to play basically the criminal du jour and uh so it's like three episodes from the uk three episodes from spain three episodes from germany and three episodes from france anyways it's you know 12 episodes of television watched them all reviewed them as a just like a lump and
0: before breakfast (laughs) Right. Well, I imagine with any miniseries, you almost probably review it like a movie, right? Yeah, I mean, then that's like... Like Chernobyl, you don't, you review one episode at a time on a show like that?
2: I mean, I I didn't cover that one, but I I think that's a show, like, it's it's interesting because, you know, there's there's a lot of different kinds of TV reviews at this point. Like, there's, you know, your standard, this review gets published, like, either on the embargo day or a couple of days before the show premieres. And just
1: actually to clarify in case people don't know what an embargo date is oh yeah
2: sorry um basically whenever you get screeners or advanced copies of a piece of content whether it be a movie whether it be a tv show etc whether it means you go to a screening two weeks beforehand in a movie theater or you get sent a link to a very decrepit website that lets you log in through multiple complicated (laughs) factors
1: mind-blowingly bad website like 400
0: watermarks
1: yeah exactly yeah but what but basically it's top secret when the embargo is broken then you're allowed to talk about it publicly yeah exactly
2: like and you know people skirt around it you'll if you follow critics on twitter like they'll sometimes like kind of hint at what they're watching etc the idea is the embargo date is meant to basically put Publications on the same level, like Mm -hmm. you know, we're all everyone launches their review at the same time. No
0: one has a scoop.
2: No one has a scoop, at least on term in terms of that. And it's actually embargoes are really fun to track if you're this kind of nerd, and I, 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 your audience might be. But let's say a movie like Frozen Two is coming out soon. The fun game to play is okay. You know, you're, you're. Let's say you're a savvy media follower of media. Pay attention to when all of the reviews come out for Frozen 2 and then compare that to when the day mo- the movie gets released mm-hmm. and compare and note the time that all those movies come out. Like, because they're all, all, all those reviews come out. Because the reviews, the reviews across major publications, the major trades, probably most other, you know, pop culture media sites, they're all going to be the same. Because they're all going to be, they've all been told, you can publish a review at this time and not a second earlier, which means all of them will publish it at the exact same second.
1: Right. And that's for search traffic purposes and all of that, right? Exactly. Like, should well, I go see Frozen 2? The New York Times wants to be up there at the same time as Vulture and everybody else, right? Exactly. And yeah, also, th-
0: also, if you've already read four reviews, they're going to read like the fifth review. Right. Right, right.
2: But the more important thing is also like, you don't want to be the person who posts last that's why everyone plays this game and everyone's in con- everyone's making sure that they're ready to go when the embargo breaks and it's 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 their serious con- not s- internally they're in, within publications it can be like a real like it's not necessarily a fireable offense but if you don't make your embargo like people are going to judge you <laughs> for it yeah. and and by the way sometimes critics are right like sometimes the embargo will be like 9 hours after the screening that they've oh, they've been like so there's there's all this weird politics to it. But the the, the thing that you can track, pu- that that the, the general public can track if they pay attention, the amount of time between when the embargo for a movie is up versus when the movie comes out. Right.
1: So the closer the embargo release date is to the release of a movie, the worse I'm, the movie they think.
0: The worse they think critics will think. Of
2: it. Yes. Because, I mean, the thing is all studios and networks are going to tell you Of course we have full confidence in this product, et cetera. The actual truth is, you know, the publicity departments, if they are aware that they're going to be, that there are potential issues, that something might not land the way they wanted to with certain audiences, they are going to be careful about it. They are going to be calculating and they are going to like, they're going to do things like, for for example, uh, sometimes there are certain studios that might make it harder for critics who are not let's say 100% in the bag for superhero movies they're going to make it harder for them to see right. their superhero screenings um
0: well there's a right the famous thing with fantastic four where the director Josh trink like wrote that the movie's not good like before yeah the movie he came broke out broke his own embargo yeah
2: yeah basically i mean and that's like and that, everyone
1: at the studio knew that the movie had issues yeah everyone knows right they're all at those test screenings critic screenings like you know even though we just had
0: you know we just interviewed this producer elaine goldsmith thomas she Mm -hmm. did hustlers she's one of the producers
1: and she was like we did not know if it was going to do well or not they didn't know it was going to be a hit but elaine also was like i know this movie's great right Right, which is kind of a different thing right
2: yeah i mean i think there's a there's like Knowing that the movie will connect with people and knowing that, knowing the movie will connect with audiences versus knowing the movie's good, like, because there are tons of great movies that never get, never really make that connection.
0: And then there's the movies that, like, connect, like, you know, like a movie, they're like in Austin Powers or something, where when it first comes out, people are, like, not connecting with it, but then it just, like, My friend Brian Frank
1: saw it 13 times top. in theaters. <laughs>
2: that is a lot of times I was to see like, that particular movie.
1: Yeah. And I was like Brian, you you know what's up. I saw it with him the second time.
2: Yeah, I actually, maybe um, I wasn't surprised. Failed to do well was the kitchen, uh, which came out this summer. I was hope I was rooting for it because you know I always root for female filmmakers. Sure. Did you guys see it? Like, I
1: didn't. And also, it's based on a comic, and yeah. I'm a fan of the artist who draws it as well. It's okay. Kind of, a, kind of a bummer. Yeah.
2: But the thing is, is that randomly I happen to be on like one of those a thing that happens in los angeles a lot of times studios will do um, advanced special screenings for various films and these will be like for the general public and they're meant to be like essentially test screenings the thing is like there's no exact science to the embargo date thing though you if you google embargo dates and you know try to dig around a little bit you'll find some interesting people have like sat down and tried to write Features about trying to figure out like does it actually mean that the movie is bad if the review embargo is like a week in advance? When
1: you say a feature, you mean like a think piece? not uh, yeah, like a, exactly. There's no movie out there. Yeah. I would love to read the blacklist script about like someone who's cracked the code on the ratio of embargo dates. I
2: mean, somebody days. like I, I bet there's definitely a beautiful mind-esque situation <laughs> where someone could do that. Well,
1: you guys know about that. If company. only it were 2006, that'd be a great funnier die sketch. Mm-hmm.
0: Right? <laughs> well, you know about that company that. I don't know if they still exist, but you could send them your script and they would tell you what the opening weekend box office was going to be based right. on this like neural network. Anal- oh,
1: analysis. my God. Yeah. That sounds
2: amazing. Yeah. Um, and
1: uh, like um, malarkey. I would say. Yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah, Of course, malarkey. <laughs> As someone who's kind of a spectator slash interested party in this in this industry, like one of the most exciting things about it is you. Can't necessarily predict stuff like there's there's always surprises lurking in this industry and in in the way things play out It's been really really genuinely exciting
1: What can you think of an instance where you disliked a movie that the public loved and vice versa?
2: I mean plenty of times i'm sure this isn't this is a perfect example, but I really enjoyed yesterday Just for what it was and I read a lot of really harsh criticism of it, and I respect all the complaints they had. But I was like, "Yeah, it's a sweet enough romantic comedy." With I a- saw it
1: with my in-laws.
0: Yeah. it was real cute. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we had fun. Yeah, I saw. I was at my mom's house, and one of her friends was like, "Oh, my sister and I just went to see yesterday. Yesterday, it was lovely." Yeah, yeah. It seemed to have. It seemed like it could have that whole like a uh, greatest hotel and in- best
1: exotic marigold hotel, right?
2: Is it marigold?
1: I think
2: it is. Okay, I'm getting... Okay, Grand Budapest yeah. Hotel is one yes. and then Best, best exotic, exotic Marigold, Marigold hotel. hotel.
1: Yeah, and that's then- like a movie
0: that I did not know anyone that watched, but my parents watch it and then I just like... I think they made a sequel, right? Like, Yeah, I think. yeah. the yeah. second
2: yeah. Best Exotic Marigold <laughs> Hotel, which I really appreciate as a title. Yeah, yeah,
0: like so it's one of those... I felt like yesterday kind of had that thing where I saw some marketing about it for mm-hmm. it, but not a ton, but it was ran- these random people in my life that were not like film people necessarily were connecting with it.
2: Yeah. No, I think like I I think there's always like stuff like that. Like I mean, one of my favorite things about about TV in general is just like the fact that it's the rare media property that doesn't accumulate something resembling a fandom. Like it's like it was one of those things where like I I every time I go to Comic-Con, I'm always like astounded by like the girls who will lose their crap during a panel because Paul Wesley is there.
1: I have no idea who that is. I know. <laughs> um
2: I barely he was on the he was on the vampire diaries. Okay. Gotcha. Like, and it's just like, but like, you know, and it's one of those things though, where it's like, you know, you and I might not care about the vampire diaries, but that show ran for seven seasons and had a spin off and a huge fan base. And people people get invested in Everything has like some audience out there and it's just a matter of them find You know some. some are much more quiet than others like but yeah, it's 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 beautiful like people Even like the crappiest movie will have a fan somewhere Right, I believe
0: that's actually that's what I like about movies versus tv shows Is that you can a tv show can you can spend millions and millions of dollars on it and it comes out and it's on nbc I guess canceled after the seventh episode or whatever. Right. And a year later, no one has ever heard of it, even though there were giant billboards. And then you can make a movie about the relationship between a salt and pepper shaker and like for 15 years ago. And then someone's looking up movies, they're like, oh there, are, oh, there was a movie about condiments. Yeah. You know, yeah. like like there's some staying power to a movie that I feel like TV, unless yeah. TV, TV has a th- certain threshold that it has to pass. To be,
1: like, right, tears or friends or the office. Which is, which is, which is pretty office. significant, too. Like, we're talking about, like, five-plus years of television, you know, is yeah. when it really kind of, like, breaks through the cultural zeitgeist, I guess.
2: Well, it used to be that case in a way anyway. Like, I mean, the whole reason that it used to be a big deal for a show to reach its fifth season is because of syndication. Sure. Which is where the real money is. Where real money was, rather. Right. Like, basically, the way it worked in... For the,
0: the TV... For the makers of the TV show, the yeah. producers.
2: Yeah, like famously there's a, a interview with, the, with the, some producers who worked on Friends kind of like a couple of years after the show ended. And one of them was like, yeah, I don't have a second bathroom in my house if Monica and Chandler don't get together like <laughs> like right, right. that 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 extended the life of the show by a couple of years and i have a really nice house now my house would have been fine before sure. but my house is really nice now
1: i i mean i remember the number you know probably years ago now but like seinfeld made a billion dollars just in syndication just in reruns oh, and it's still probably it's still making money yeah yeah, yeah. um but but i want to back up a little bit liz i want to talk about the way that you approach reviewing or, or, criticizing something because mm-hmm. I think that there's oftentimes two kind of different preconceived notions about the way a critic approaches something. Right. I think there's the the version where and I think I thought of this much more when I was younger of like the snooty high is it art or isn't it mm-hmm. decree right versus you know that's just your opinion man right which are, are kind of two kind of pretty off base ideas I think and obviously like you know it's not a coincidence that you wrote about the X-Files because you fucking love that show, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think personality maybe is more of a part of criticism than it used to be, right? As, like, the internet has made the nature of criticism change. But tell us about how you come to decide whether or not you're going to recommend a movie or TV show.
2: Well, I think you make a really good point about personality. And I think to go back a little bit in our history one thing I really find fascinating about the idea of criticism is I think every critic has two audiences one is the audience they know they're writing for and themselves like I think like a lot of times it's kind of a balance between that like the only the only instinct you can go in on is your own like you can't like you can't, like, basically look at a watch a movie or a TV show and be like, Well, I think people are going to feel like this. So I should definitely write my review along those lines. Like, for example, you can't, I, I didn't review this show, but uh, Ava DuVernay's uh, When They See Us. You can't plan to review that show thinking to yourself, Well, this is going to be a really important Emmy nominated series. It's very clear that's going to be the case. So ergo, I have to write about this, like, it's a critically right. acclaimed it's
1: art so i'm going to acclaim it as a critic exactly yeah.
2: you can't go into it that way and like i i do think that there's a magnificence to that show i do have criticisms of it and the, i i own those criticisms because you know they, they that they were what stuck with me there there is a really fascinating element to it though like because one thing i always remember is back in the, the ye oldy days of when you had a newspaper that came to your doorstep and it was a newspaper like from based in your city and it was a critic that you were familiar with like because you'd been reading them for quite some time. And, you know... Like my grandmother uh, lived in Sacramento all her life. Or not all her life, but in the last several decades. Matt's
1: hometown. Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah. So Sacramento Bee Subscriber. Sure,
1: big time. Yeah,
2: I can't remember the name of the critic who wrote for them regularly. Yeah, I'm... She would there were read. two.
1: There were two. And one of them I liked and one of them I didn't.
2: That's the thing. My grandmother knew she which critics she agreed with and which critic she didn't. Based on who wrote the review, she would know how she felt about a movie. It's the grander national version of this is Siskel and Ebert came to movies in a, from very different perspectives. And so there were people who would be Siskel people, and there'd be people who were Ebert people. And so if Ebert Which one are you? Ah. Uh, I wish I could say I was a Cisco person, but I feel oh like oh my
1: god, Ebert through and through.
2: I, Ebert, Ebert's the populist, I think more yeah. more than more than more than Cisco. I think that's what it comes down to, and I think I think I tend generally follow more into an Ebert line of things. Mm-hmm. Like I will legit with a straight face write a review of DC's Legends of Tomorrow, which is a incredibly sure. silly show, but is so charming and so heartfelt and so well meaning that. I can't not love it.
0: I'm curious, like when you review stuff from like first time filmmakers versus like a seasoned filmmaker, do you you feel like it's charged with like you knowing more about where this is coming? Like, are you criticizing it as somebody that doesn't know anything about filmmakers and the filmmaking industry and how they would think about it? Or do you find that you're loaded, preloaded with your like I have a DuVernay made, you know, when they see us that is different than John Miller, you know, making it.
2: I think as a critic you always try to take in backstory and you try to incorporate that and I feel like I've always enjoyed reviews that made a really like that will take like a couple of paragraphs and make a deep study of how this particular film fits into somebody's resume. I think what's interesting is on the flip side, if it's a first-time filmmaker, like I think a lot of those reviews can kind of fall into the this person has a lot of potential, and you can see where they're still figuring stuff out.
1: Or it's like this is the arrival of a new voice. Yeah, Yeah. that's more like a lot of like second review, like second features. Like there's a lot of like (laughs) Midsummer. I think is a great example of like we thought Ari Aster was going to be great, and we were right. (laughs) (laughs) I'm curious. So,
0: and I'm sure there's, there's no answer to this, but you know how in elementary school you learn how to write an essay and there's Mm -hmm. like your thesis and your first paragraph with some examples and three paragraphs of evidence and then you summarize everything. Yeah. Is there a structure that you use when you're writing a film review or or a TV show review?
2: I mean, not really. Like it, it's honestly, I actually tend to start in the middle Unless like unless I know like I ca- I'm in the shower and I come up with like the perfect idea for my lead and then like I jot that and down. And the
0: lead is the opening line. The opening or paragraph. It's not the headline
2: though. No, it's not the headline. And actually, fun fact: L- lead is uh, in a lot of times in journalism speak uh, spelled L-E-D-E. Um, there's actually yeah,
1: a- always throws me off. What would, what is there a story behind that?
2: There is a story behind that. There's a lot of journalism terms that are deliberately misspelled. And it, the the purpose is so that they catch the eye uh, when you're proofing. Mm. For example, uh, the the big one is TK. Sure, it means to come. Mm-hmm. So let's say like I'm waiting like I'm waiting for the box office gross info on a movie, but I'm just trying to blaster my coffee. I'll just put TK, and it'll be there. And and that's a reminder. I need to put that back in. Uh, but there are more than, more often than not, like that's the sort of thing you might overlook doing your second right. pass. So that's why they people deliberately misspell words and, you know, use like slang terms. Like like for headline it's H E D head. For the uh, deck or the subheadline it's D E K deck. And lead is spelled L E D E. I mean it's not I don't even know if that's not really necessarily a typographical like thing, but it is like a weird it's a weird quirk of the industry. Anyway, we were talking about the your, structure of
0: uh the structure yeah. of a
2: review. I mean, I think everyone varies. Like one of the infamous things that people run into is the idea that, you know, write write your first draft or your review and then look at your first paragraph. And if it's like a paragraph basically about your your day or your personal feelings or some weird backstory about your life, like cut it. Like um, I
1: wish more uh, recipe writers would look, get, take <laughs> oh that advice. God.
2: Recipe writers are amazing in this regard. I can't. Oh, yeah. it
0: is insane. There you is nothing were... my family has enjoyed more you than when more I about... accidentally put an extra stick
1: of butter sure. in. My daughter Dakota and I were walking home from uh, with her au <laughs> the other day. But it's funny because in a TV pitch or a film pitch,
0: any pitch, a lot of times people tell you to start it with a personal connection you know
2: no yeah, of course. but
1: but i just wanted to know how to make the best chocolate chip Yeah, cookies. grilled salmon yeah yeah
2: i think I, mean, I think what it comes down to is and this is i think a thing that's really interesting about the way in which the web the way in which personality becomes involved is i think people sometimes confuse personality for first person and uh i mean one of one of my favorite film critics is David Ehrlich, who's uh, at the at, at IndieWire right now, and all of his reviews are personal. All of his reviews are witty and sharp and very focused. He will he 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 will put in his own personal reflections, but he doesn't lead with them, and he's very focused on the movie itself. And that's the thing. It's like, you know, there are great writers out there who do an amazing job of making their work personal and real. Emily Vanderwerf at uh, Vox is a great example of this. So she's she sometimes veers more towards self-insertion if you will mm-hmm. uh, than most publications would normally allow, but she never really does it without a good reason. Like and I think in general like the big thing is it again I think I mentioned like you know you're thinking about your audience when you write and your audience is showing up to see what you think of a movie. Your audience doesn't necessarily show up to see just what you think. Right. Like, and you sure. want to give them what they want. That's like, a
1: pretty big distinction though. Yeah. That's pretty
0: good. Yeah. Um, yeah. And when you say self-insertion, you mean like if she writes something like a, a particular part reveal mm-hmm. in the middle of the movie made me drop yeah. my coffee.
2: Was well, more more just like you know this uh, I I had this personal experience when I was fourteen years sure, old. Sure, sure. I is,
1: remember it, when I first saw so and so at fourteen.
2: Exactly, right. and she she's not like that. She generally unless like actually she uh, she recently came out as trans, and that her her joke is that she publicly came out like in a big way. Uh, with an essay that she also basically... flat She she referred to as her review of The Handmaid's Tale Season 3, <laughs> um, which is... It's a fitting topic. It's like she basically connected, you know, the show with the fact that, you know, in, in this year, our Year of the Lord 2019, she's coming out publicly as a woman. Like, that's a big thing. Sure. Uh, yeah. And a really fun choice to make right now <laughs> right. in a really scary era. Yeah. Um, so... Like, but like, so it all made sense and it all worked really well. But like, that's a really fascinating element.
1: You know, I think Liz, you bring up an interesting point in terms of the way that we are now sort of relating to to critics. Because when we were saying before, like, oh, am I a Cisco person or an Ebert person? I liked Ebert better, mm-hmm. right? And then even just in terms of thinking of the critics that I. Regard right? Most of the time I think of them through podcasts. I mm-hmm. think of that. I like love the slate culture gap fest or like I love film week here in LA. So like the, the critics that I follow on Twitter and the ones that I'm like chasing their reviews, right. Right. It is, is, is partially, it's like a little bit more of that cult of personality, a little bit more of like, Oh, I, I think the, their point of view is interesting and that's why I'm going to listen to what they have to say a little bit more. And, and also like, you know at the movies is a is kind of the first time that you really saw critics in front of you like on screen really mm-hmm. right before that it was always just you know i guess there's like you know uh gene chadat and you know like the or the, the even maybe the local news you know review show would be part of that on friday nights or whatever but for the most part like you didn't have a, a, a quite as personal you didn't really see
2: who you who was who was doing right. the writing exactly
1: exactly
0: i was going to ask you and i love Advice and tips. I was gonna ask you some questions. Um, yeah kind of in that realm So my first question is how do you do you have any tips on how to write a catchy headline? Something that matt and I are always struggling just in how to name our episodes
2: Oh god, I mean, I think you want search terms and you want to convey a certain level of personality I always I, mean, I always struggle with headlines, but I think like
0: is shorter better or not necessarily
2: you don't want to go too short and you don't want to go too long. I think it also depends. Doing like the really snappy, the snappy thing is really, is if you can nail it, it's great. I'm a, I, I like a like, you know, if it feels like one breath, I think that's a good length. Like, you know, and I feel like also like, but I feel like, you know, it's like if you can figure out a way to be bold with it, like that's also exciting.
0: Yeah, because I think that skill is I mean when we're naming a podcast episode or you're putting up a YouTube video or you're writing a headline obviously for a, an article yeah. nowadays when you're competing so much for people's attention I feel like that skill of telling people in like five words or less why they should care about what you're saying is a skill that's really sure. important. Hey
2: even just like an email uh, so, uh, email a subject line, uh, su- subject line. That the same, yes. it's the exact same skill set and sometimes like you know just keeping it simple and being like I mean, you don't Direct. want to go too simple. Like, you're just saying over and over again, this is, you know, the Cohen brothers are doing something different. Like, <laughs> right. you know, you can't just, you can't do that. And then, like, two weeks later, being like, Baz Luhrmann is doing something different.
1: I click on both of those, though, for sure. <laughs> <Right>. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, but, like, but I think actually, to your point of key terms, I think that that's a thing that we struggle with with the podcast is it's like, you want to kind of like stuff the most recognizable credit in that title, but also, give context to what we're really going to be talking about you know
2: yeah. and i think like honestly the the toughest thing with headlines is you fall into formulas and you fall into like tropes like i and that's what
0: matt is always upset with me back from like,
1: x to y yeah from yeah.
0: IndieWire critic to av club dominator yeah exactly with liz Shannon miller
2: yeah like one headline thing I see all the time, and I'm always trying to find ways to get around it is how blank did blank sure, yeah. and it's like it's like how hustlers shot their uh their stripper scenes right they pointed a camera at some <laughs> women doing stripping yeah. <laughs> like that that's how they did it like I mean admittedly you know that's undermining like the nuance of that, but you know it's not a great example, but like
1: yeah no i i I get it you
2: you've seen it before,
1: sure yeah i'm mean, we've done
0: it yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, okay next question Go. So you know a lot of filmmakers Obviously you're friends from, with Matt From a long time ago right. And um, I'm assuming many other people Do you ever give notes to? Do people ask you for notes on their films And does your career as a critic Affect the way you you do you respond to them
2: Well if, if someone asked me To give them notes on a movie I wouldn't review it It's tough because like This is a small town And you get to know so many people Like there are definitely people who I am acquainted with that I would feel comfortable critiquing their work. Um, you know, I'd be up front with them about it, of course, et cetera. But, like, you know, there are people that are on that level of acquaintance that I feel okay with. But then they're, like, good friends, so I'd be like, no, I'm going to bow out of this. Like, and you have to – You and that's, like, of course, the toughest thing, and you have to be very careful about it because that will – Bite you in the ass as we've seen in the past if you aren't careful and you aren't like honest about it like you know you have to be careful about that sort of thing so yeah i mean i think like once it crosses over into the personal level like that's when you have to make that call i right.
1: mean it, it does make me think of one of jonathan gold's last restaurant reviews was for a david Chang review that like his first la restaurant and mm-hmm. like they're like famously friends like they're on ugly delicious together like they were buddies and the review was rough yeah. It's, like, it's like really tough yeah That's... It, yeah a- after he was a huge champion for him for a long time
2: right. yeah, it's tough like yeah. you want you want to support your friends and you want to like celebrate their work but you also have that pesky editorial you know integrity sure. thing
1: and, well and almost maybe like you kind of maybe course correct too hard like there's a, a little bit of like a reaction of like well, I'm gonna be hard on him because everyone knows we're friends you know? right
2: for sure
0: do you ever have filmmakers respond to a not so nice review?
2: I don't, I've never, like, A, I tend to be pretty lucky in that I rarely.
1: Do you want to talk about.
2: Did I review something mean of yours? No, 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 no,
1: (laughs) no, 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 no. Uh, You actually, I don't think I've ever reviewed anything. Katrina, or Karina, pardon me. Karina. Yeah, yeah, you had reviewed Engaged. Okay. But we could talk about James Gunn.
2: Oh yeah James Gunn got mad at me That one time so, um,
1: <laughs> Sorry So we'll, we'll no, back No it's okay the it, yeah, it Galaxy
2: No uh, No this is ages ago When he was doing He was, he did this web series Called PG Porn That I thought was stupid I <laughs> Was it PG Porn Or was it a different one Anyway I No would, no
1: no It was um, Spike One Because I was oh, working Spike. At Viacom at the time Oh
2: okay That's why you remember this
1: And it was like Human
2: Z Human Z Yeah that was stupid Yeah oh. um, <laughs> But, I mean that was that was back when James Gunn wasn't woke. Uh, back in his, I'll write a blog post that's just me, me talking about the thirty Marvel characters I really want to fuck.
1: To give people context, James Gunn had done a bunch of like B movies. He was the director of the Guardians of the Galaxy, right? But he, yeah, ha- hadn't become a, a big Hollywood mucky muck yet. And also ex husband of uh, uh, yeah, so Jenna, Jenna Fisher. Fisher. Yep. I think they were it doesn't matter wh- where that timeline <laughs> is, but basically he'd been doing this, these web series and one of them was the show called Human Z that was just kind of like a gross out, like yeah, about like a m- human monkey man. No,
2: no there, there's this period of his career and he's been up front in the, since his, you know, he's been up front in recent years. Back a couple, like a couple years ago, I was doing all this, I was kind of an asshole and I was doing all this gross stuff and I took issue with this one show he did, and I wrote a negative review. And he called me out and called me. And I think everyone, I, I've actively chosen to forget what nice words he wrote about me <laughs> on his blog. But he wrote a blog post that was just like Liz Shannon Miller is an idiot or something. And yeah,
1: yeah, just uh, but, but like explicitly mean at you, not just like what? how dare people not get my art? Like, no, you are stupid for thinking this well, it's was like- the the idea behind it yeah
2: and I think honestly the thing of it is like it was it was unpleasant at the time but like at the same time like James Gunn being mad at me on his blog I'll take that a hundred times over me getting yelled at on Twitter but sure like I I actually I just recently at the end of August uh, when the late when the newest uh, Rise of Skywalker trailer came out I tweeted something very offhand about how you know as a girl growing up like All I ever wanted to see was a girl using a lightsaber on screen. Right, and the stupid tweet of mine ended up in the Twitter moments uh, section around the release of the trailer, and a lot of people wanted to make sure I knew that a Shokotan existed, which I knew. Like, she's she's a female Jedi from the animated series (laughs) franchises. And it's like no, I I know this, this character exists. I've never gotten into Clone Wars. I'm sorry. Please stop telling me it exists, dude number four hundred. Like, yeah, but yeah, James James Gunn, go ahead and blog your ass off about me. Like, right. I, I'll I I I'm, just stay out of my mentions. Like yeah. people people are assholes sometimes. Again, like I get it so less less badly than other people do. Like I know, if, like there are f- critics I know, like. There's this one woman who uh, reviewed Joker, and it's just like she did not care for it. And holy crap, she's gotten death threats on yeah. Twitter from yeah. people who haven't even seen the movie. They're just mad at her.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. do Goodreads I hear is even worse. Like I have uh, book oh,
1: reviewer really site, and that site can really make or break like an author. So, so Liz, I have a pet peeve in terms of like when people are pitching us, and I would love for you to weigh in. Sure. And I am aware that, like, we have, like, a very, you know, DIY audience, right? Mm-hmm. And I love to to celebrate that and uh, appreciate that. But I never want the pitch to be, look how cheap I made this movie for, <laughs> right? Yeah. We shot right. this in one day. Yeah. On yeah. Like, iPhone. I want it to be, like, this movie is incredible for these reasons. And also, can you believe, as a footnote, can you believe we made it for $2? Yeah. That's all. That's my point. Do you agree? <laughs>
2: no, I mean, I think I I think there's uh
0: the qualifications of why something is not good are meaningless, right?
2: I mean, I think like you can spend 60 days shooting something and it can be crap and you can spend a week shooting something it can be amazing. Like I, I went to a Indie Pilot Indie Television Festival mm-hmm. and I think there were two different shows that both were shot in three days. And one of them was, you could tell it was shot in three days. And mm-hmm. it felt like it, and it felt a little flimsy. But there was one that was shot in three days, and I am like, fuck you that was shot in three days. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like, the, the most important thing is the quality. Like, and yeah, like you said, if it's a footnote, like, I 100% agree with you on that. Like, I think that's just basically, you know, that's what matters, like uh,
1: do you have other pet peeves in terms of like when people are pitching you to review something?
2: I think when people don't understand that you know no is no, <laughs> um,
1: uh, sure, yeah,
2: by the way, one it, I was going to say in contrast, like I just recently watched for the first time uh the Love Witch, which is this really well made feature film. And it took the creator, it took that that woman, the woman who directed it, seven years to make that movie. Yeah, yeah. and it's exquisitely made.
1: Did you write a review about it?
2: No, no. no, I was on a podcast uh, that covered it.
1: I th- I can't remember what critic mentioned this about that movie, but like it's so rare to see a movie that's so specifically a singular vision. When you talk about vision, like, the Love Witch is a perfect oh, yeah. example of it. It's, like, so stylized, so surreal, so strange, and so intentional. And like, there's nothing accidental about it.
2: Right. But at the same time, it's because she spent seven years making it. Right. That's true. But, yeah, I think, like, honestly, I think, you know, beyond, like, the normal, like, you know, observe basic social graces. Like, no means no. You know, every every critic has way too much on their plate already. You know, it's, like, I think not understanding that you know in, in a lot of times especially like if even if if, if even if i'm just doing a review even if i'm just doing if, if i just do a review or an interview or something like knowing that there has to be a strong hook like you it's just like i'm not just gonna in, review something because, because you asked me real nice yeah
1: yeah do you like for them to pitch the hook when they're emailing you
2: I mean, I don't want them to dictate what the story should be. And I've had people do that, like be like, here are all the exciting angles surrounding this. Mm -hmm. Like I, if I'm going to get engaged with something, it has to be because I'm personally intrigued by it. And that's the trickiest thing. It's like, but like, you know, this is a, you know, telling me all the strong, all the elements of, I think that's the thing. It's like tease the elements, tease what makes it exciting and new and fresh. Don't necessarily feel like you need to write the story for me.
0: Mm Right. Right. Interesting cause yeah. I always, when I used to like email, you know PR outlets to try to get them to cover like my mm-hmm. Viral video, or whatever, I would always like try to like Give make, the make headline in the, yeah, in, the, yeah. in the email. Subject. Well,
2: I mean like you can it, that's the thing like it's it's a It's a power suggestion rather than ex, explicit like you know, right right dictation
0: right 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 cool Okay, my last question sure so you know, your job is basically telling people if they did a good job or not on their filmmaking. And I remember when I was a kid and i like, my friends would play a video game or something and be like, oh, this video game sucks. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, let's see you make a video game like this. Do you ever I mean, you've been doing this for a while now. Are you ever tempted to just make the perfect movie or TV show yourself?
2: The thing is, I've 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 made my own shorts. I've I've been on the other side of things. Of, uh, on a number of different levels and I know how hard it is I, I think that's part of what makes me good at this frankly is that I know enough to respect the craft and know what it takes would know what it takes to make this like I don't take it for granted like you know, even, even, when I, even when I hate something and I'm mad at everyone involved, like I still respect the fact that they made it and that they took that risk and they put themselves out there and they invested their time and money. And maybe I think it's a bad investment, but you know, same sure. time, like I know this. Like it is like, on the one hand, it is the cheapest and easiest thing to be like, you don't know how hard it is, et cetera. Like, you know, it is easy to write people off that way, it, easy to write off criticism that way. And frankly, here's the thing as someone who's been on been, crit, been criticized who's I've, I've i've produced plays that have gotten bad reviews i've written tweets that have gotten me yelled at on the internet like you know as a creator like if you're going to let like a bad review dictate whether or not you keep pursuing what you're doing like then what are you doing like it, it and so honestly if if what
1: that's why i don't make video games anymore <laughs> Right.
2: And honestly, here's the thing. Like, I understand if you, if I read a negative review of something and it hurts your feelings and you feel bad, and what makes you feel better is to say, that person's a bitch and I don't care what she thinks and she's a dum dum and whatever. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. Like, great. Congratulations. Like, hopefully you read some of the critiques. Hopefully you kind of internalized some of the messaging. It, hopefully, I, my, what I was saying wasn't wasted. But at the same time, like, as someone who's been on both sides of it like i understand totally how compl- how you know how hard it is and a lot i think honestly the big thing is the review it, it, again this goes back to knowing your audience a lot of times especially when i was reviewing web series like my purpose in reviewing web series was to tell people whether or not it was worth them clicking on a link like sure yeah like and so it was it was not for creator likes the review that's great but really, the audience is people looking for stuff to watch.
1: Yeah. Right. Uh, well, Liz, this was great. Yeah. Um, thank you. Thank you so much. Let's, uh, should we hop into unpaid endorsements? Unpaid endorsements. My unpaid endorsement is for a Kickstarter video uh, that's a couple years old for a show that was going to go to Edinburgh. And it's like, not that good. If I'm being honest, it's like a totally fine Kickstarter video, but that's kind of the point. It's got uh, it shows a ton of potential. We'll say that, and it's for a little one-woman show called Fleabag, <laughs> and it won a shit ton of Emmys not that long ago, um, and I think it's r- really charming because I think it shows you. Is it Phoebe Waller-Cab? It, it's it's the, it's oh, Phoebe Waller Phoebe Waller-Bridge and and the woman who plays her best friend in that first season who. Oh, she shoot, opens the cafe I, yeah. with yeah, not to spoil anything but anyway they they're they were friends uh, and had a, a theater company together called dry wit and like needed like 3000 bucks 5000 bucks <laughs> something like that to to Maybe put up pounds. a show at edinburgh yeah. yeah you know which like and they it's like your standard straight up internet you know kickstarter video they were explaining to us like why they have to pay a uh, theater tech and like how Edinburgh is an expensive experience and that they're not made of money and that they just need a little bit to get get them there. And like, you know, maybe 200 people contributed to the Kickstarter. It was not... And did she give away like ownership of the show? (laughs) (laughs) You You know, I should have looked at what their incentives were actually um, when you're you're checking it out. But one thing that is great is she is, Phoebe is wearing like a a cheap uh, Batman costume for the whole time without perfect. for no reason. Real, real reason. Yeah. And it's, it again, it does have a lot of charm to it, but it is not anything special. It is not the best Kickstarter video. You're, you're not like, oh, that person is a genius who's about to make a masterpiece, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, I think it's really pretty encouraging for all of us to like watch that and remember that it was not that long ago that... Right. Um, Even award-winning geniuses were not always geniuses. Exactly.
2: Also, I think like if you look at the credits for that video and I forget his name... But the director of that, the the guy who essentially directed and shot the the Kickstarter video, is actually a known indie director now.
1: Oh, great! Um, Perfect.
2: Yeah, it's worth maybe looking up and putting in the notes or something. But I, I, I somebody somebody pointed that out, and I was like, oh, okay.
1: Yeah, pretty yeah. great.
2: Well, it's also it speaks to like the community that surrounds a lot of creators. It's sure. like you know you don't make stuff on your own. Right. Like you right. have you have friends.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
2: So my unpaid recommendation is. A Netflix dramedy slash post apocalyptic thing uh, called Daybreak, mm-hmm. and it is. I a, think
0: I've seen a trailer for it.
2: Yeah, uh, it's. I've seen five episodes of it at this point. Uh, I believe it's going to be a ten episode season, and essentially, it it's it's very transparently Ferris Bueller in the post apocalypse. Um, Like,
1: that's definitely the actual pitch that they must have taken in.
2: Yeah, and then they went ahead and cast Matthew Broderick as the high school principal. Right. But there's a a real spark of imagination to it. It's really inventive in terms of its storytelling. Like, and one of the things I really like about it is the fact that the first two episodes are told from the point of view of, you know, our plucky, young, white, straight, uh, straight white boy hero... And he's, you know, he talks directly to the camera. He's very, he's, you know, he's engaging enough. But then uh, the subsequent episodes change the point of view. And it's like the, you know, preteen girl gets an episode and other characters get episodes. And the style changes accordingly. And it's not like a perfect show, but there's so much, it's, it's having so much fun. And it's really playing with the format and... I imagine that when this there's either one or two things has happened by the time this comes out, either this has made a really big splash and people are really excited about talking about it, or no one's watched it. In which case, hey, go watch, go check out Daybreak if you like. If you like, if you like the idea of of a lot of crazy, a lot of crazy pop culture stuff all thrust together uh, in a post apocalyptic environment. Right. The other thing I'm going to mention is I I get. I don't want to say I get frustrated when I hear that people who live in Los Angeles and work in the industry don't watch BoJack Horseman, <laughs> but I get it, it's. It, I feel like everyone who doesn't is missing out. Like it is one of the best shows about Hollywood ever made. Um, it is heartbreaking and beautiful and also hilarious, and uh, I think like it's it's tough going at times, but it's it's entering its final season right now, and I'm not really ready to talk about that, but I am. I, I, I do think it's a really special show and also has some of the best jokes about this town Period.
0: Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I got to get back on to BoJack.
1: Um, yeah, me too, actually. I, I, I've seen the first two episodes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, I, I think it takes a little bit of time, right?
2: Yeah, I hate to be that, like, person where it's like, oh, it takes this number of episodes to get good. But really, it's like, I believe it's episode seven or... This is what I always <laughs> say. It's like, episode seven or eight, it's called the telescope. Mm-hmm. If you get to the telescope and you're not... And you finish the telescope and you're not in, fine. fail. Like, yeah, yeah. 100%. But, like, a te- the telescope is where it really finds its tone.
0: Well, cool. Okay, so... Yeah. My unpaid endorsement. There's this saying in the grip world: if you can't tie a knot, tie a lot, which means like you know, part of the job of a grip is to like tie things down so they don't fly in the wind and hurt actors or whatever. And you're supposed to know lot and know how to tie knots. But if you're just starting out and you don't really know how to tie knots, you tie something like a million times. That's what I'm doing with these unpaid endorsements. I don't have a great one, but I'm gonna give you three <laughs> shitty ones real quick. <laughs> Number one is the article I referred to earlier in this interview. It's called "The Formula" and it's in the New Yorker, and it's by Malcolm Gladwell, written October eighth, two thousand six, and it's about uh, what if you built a machine to predict hit movies, and it's about this company and how they analyze scripts to let you know how much money they'll make. Awesome. Uh, so it is it is a real thing written by a guy that's you know kind right. of kind of known. Number two, something I talked about on a previous episode was that. If you have an iPhone, you can say, Hey Siri, call Matt Enlow on speakerphone. As of iOS 13, and I don't know if it's related to the new iPhone or not, you can just, if you just put your phone on the table and you say, Call Matt, Hey Siri, call Matt Enlow, it will know that it should call on speakerphone because the phone is not up to your face. That's cool. Uh, so it'll That's say, cool. Calling okay. Matt Enlow on speakerphone. So awesome feature just for, I mean, I don't think people even hold their phones up to their face anymore, right? No, yeah, with the that's not a phone, thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, I have, I do all the time, <laughs> but like, I'd much rather do speakerphone. Yeah, it's you're just might being right? rude to someone else, basically or not. Yeah. I
2: got I got made fun of actually recently for doing that because they're like, "What are you, a re- contestant on a reality show? Or are, you, <laughs> are, you, are you, are you, are you, are you, are you at the at the Whole Foods trying to consult with your t- Top <laughs> <Sure>, Chef teammate?" <laughs> right.
0: Right. Um, Good burn. Let's and yeah. my my third one. This is the dumbest endorsement of all time, but like. I, I took a flight yesterday On Southwest Airlines And I think everyone knows this But if you don't You can change your tickets For free on Southwest Like I changed I was supposed to fly out of SFO And I, it was more convenient For me to fly out of Oakland And it was the same price ticket And I just changed it, it was Like no penalty at all Very I just cool. love that Because every other airline Would be like $200 To do right, that Right, right, yeah
2: what so, about Southwest? I didn't know that actually That's pretty great
0: Yeah, and if you Also you can cancel a flight And you'll get the full credit Let's say that flight Costs $250 You just get like $250
1: to spend on Southwest anytime you want. That's pretty good to know. I'm always anxious about that. I've actually got one final endorsement just to pile on at the end because we talked so much about Ebert. uh, The documentary Life Itself, which is about the life of Roger Ebert, uh, is the movie I've cried in the most. Oh, cool. It's like, it's really wonderful. I watched the movie next to him
0: once. I'm sure you've probably done it a million times. Next to Ebert? No. Yeah, it was at Sundance. It was like, oh, man. What movie? It might have been a shorts program, actually, oh, okay. um, but it was five shorts. It might, might, might have been Murderball. Oh, sure. Movie? yeah. Oh, yeah. that was great. Yeah, that's great. But I was like, that's Rodri. And there's only because my friend, he was the guy that he was a uh, volunteer there. And he let people into the critic. They have like a special screening room for critics right. to watch movies. And he just let me into every screening. Nice. And it was all critics. It was awesome.
1: Uh, well awesome um, well, uh, Thanks so much Liz
0: If yeah. we want to ha- find out more about you How do we follow you and, and send mean comments on Twitter
2: Well uh, I'm at Lizlet That's L-I-Z-L-E-T on Twitter I also have a website uh, com, Which is kind of just like a Splash play- page receptacle Of all my links
0: cool. Well yeah. if you want to find out more about our show In this interview, and in this conversation Go to justshootapodcast.com And we're across all social media At justshootapod. I'm on Instagram at O Kaplan. And by the way, I've been trying to post a little bit less pictures of my daughter and more pictures of like movie related things. Yeah,
1: she was actually kind of bummed about that. She was yeah.
0: like, well, I, I almost posted a picture of her yesterday and I was like,
1: ah, I might just shoot it followers. They're going to be pissed. They're going to be mad. Well, I can't wait for those BTS pics. Uh, you can follow me at Mr. Mademo. This show is edited by Sarah Weirda. It's produced by Madeline Rosewat. Our webmaster is Yolan Williams. And you're listening to music provided by the Free Music Archive by the artist, Jazar. See ya. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye.